0: Grab your Bible and turn to Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. Romans is in the New Testament. If you find Acts, just keep going. Surely you'll find Romans. If you're having difficulty finding it, use that table of contents, or ask your neighbor there to help you. Of all places. Um, this is a place where we should love our neighbor and help them find Romans chapter 12. Uh, just to uh, follow up, uh, earlier Zach mentioned that uh, he was digging through my purse. Uh, I don't condone that. that. That's something that we shouldn't be doing often. That is a sin of his, that he goes through people's purses often. So uh, we're trying to break him of that habit. But we'll potty train first and then deal with that later. <laughs> that was funny. I had two really good dad jokes this morning. And I just gave you one of them, okay? So I'm not going to give you the other. All right. Matthew or Romans chapter 12. We're going to get to Matthew here in just a second. Uh, what I'd like to do this morning is continue our, our series that we've been going through called slow and uh, we're down to the w here we're talking about worship so if you remember the s stands for simple we're asking you to live simpler lives Uh, if that means selling all your possessions do it okay if you feel the lord's telling you to do that then do that but but more importantly we're talking about slowing down uh thinking simply simpler terms thinking about uh, moments where you can stop and like we're talking about today, worship, uh, not filling up your schedule with so much that you're so busy. Our family yesterday, we had something at two, at three, at four, at six, at seven. We had something every hour upon the hour. And so uh, so we say, hey, what can we do to, to slow down? It wasn't, it wasn't quite the Sabbath rest that we desire, but sometimes it happens that way. Uh, the L stands for love. Uh, the L stands for love. We, we talked for about five weeks on love and how we should model biblical love, particularly from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, really gives us a, a clear definition of what Christ-like biblical love looks like. O stands for obedience or obey, and this is the difficult part of life, obeying what Christ has commanded, uh, not being like Jonah, but instead being like Jesus and following in His Footsteps. And then the W, like we started last week, stands for for worship. And so we're on worship part two. We'll finish up with worship next week and then move on to Christmas because it's about that time. Only 12 more Mondays till Christmas. Who's excited for that? Right? It's exciting. It's exciting. So, uh, with that being said, I, I want to remind you that you have not done enough. You haven't. You're failing miserably. No one in this room has done enough at anything. You haven't done enough at work. Uh, you haven't done enough at home. You haven't done enough at, uh, you know, the places you go eat. You don't tip enough. Uh, you don't pray enough. You're not religious enough. Uh, you don't love enough. You don't obey enough. You're not simple enough. You're just not doing enough. And if it's not enough that I'm saying that, I wish I could go on and on and on and just tell you how miserable you, you should be and the fact that you just can't do enough. And the and the, probably the saddest part about it is you never will. You never will do enough. Someone will come behind you and do more than you. Be greater than you. Their name will be more famous than yours is already. Someone even within your own family may rise above you, and and you'll think, why couldn't I be like be like them? Or maybe you're just arrogant to think that as you're, as I'm talking, you're you're arrogant enough or prideful enough to think, well, I've done enough. The Bible reminds us that none of us have. That we'll never do enough. We can't be religious enough. We can't be obedient enough. We can't worship enough. We can't love enough. And this is the very reason why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remind us that what Christ has done is enough. If it is enough to satisfy and please God, please get to a moment in your own heart that is enough for you. Let me say that one more time. If what Christ has done is enough to please and satisfy God, creator God, if it is enough for him, get to a moment in your own heart. Pray, Lord Jesus, please help me through your Holy Spirit, that what you've done is enough for me as well. We will never be able to worship Christ wholeheartedly if we do not get to a moment where we can wholeheartedly say what Christ has done is enough. All right? So with that, we performed somewhat of a ritual this morning. We've taken our own slant to it. We've gone through history and said this is the way Lord's Supper will work, but we've added somewhat of a, a ritual to it. We had a conversation with a gentleman just a couple of weeks ago uh, about uh, a ceremony that we were both at. Didn't that just feel somewhat like of a, of a show, almost like an, an entertainment type thing? Like they weren't genuine about it. And I wonder how many of us this morning even with our own little ritual this morning, could say the same thing about our own lives. It wasn't a genuineness to it. It wasn't real. The pastor was trying to play with our emotions and read scripture and make us think, close our eyes and uh, make us go and manipulate us into this feeling or this emotion. We get involved in these rituals. We love them almost. I mean, how many of you love routines? My family, we love it. When school starts, maybe you teachers can, can, uh, can identify with this. When school starts, it's, it's one of our favorite times because there's a, a routine. We know what to expect. We, we have a routine kind of out. When someone gets sick, like you're breaking the routine. It's not that I don't care about you and want you to feel better. It's just you've broken up the routine here. Okay. We, we want to stick to the routine. The routine feels good. And even when we come to what we call church now, what we label as church and worship, when we get out of routine, we start feeling uncomfortable. Let's get back to that room, that routine. We, we long for that almost. Give us these boring old habits, these, these routines that we can be a part of. Here's the crazy thing about what Christ did for us. And it's symbolic when this happens, we have record of it, that a curtain in the temple was torn in two. Breaking all tradition, really. Well, if this curtain that was supposed to be guarding us from God's Spirit or separating us from God's Spirit is now torn in two, what is this going to say about worship? How are we going to enter into worship now? And then the author of Hebrews really spoils everything when he goes on to say in Hebrews five or 4 and 5 that we can enter into the Lord's presence with confidence, with boldness. The Hebrew word really means frankness. You can just go in frankly with the Lord and have a conversation with Him. It doesn't sound normal. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound Old Testament. It doesn't sound religious at all. Shouldn't we dress a certain way? Shouldn't we act a certain way? Shouldn't it be at a certain place at a certain time? Isn't this how worship is supposed to happen? Shouldn't there be order to it? Shouldn't I I say the correct things? This is why I'm saying that I'll never be able to do enough. You were here just moments ago with me. Did you see me mess up down here? Like, if your salvation is dependent upon me, if your worship of the Lord through the Lord's Supper is dependent upon me, you're all sinners and going to hell because of my fault. But praise be to God, it's not on me. That instead Christ comes in and takes away my sin, puts on me righteousness, gives me, uh, the, uh, uh, gives me an opportunity to have right relationship with the Father, and enters to His presence with boldness and frankness because of the blood of Jesus. I mean, I I'd say I'm going to pass out the bread, and I start opening up the the, uh, the juice here. Okay, well, this isn't, I take off the lid, and I'm like, well, this isn't the bread, obviously, Thackerson. Come on now. Like, let's get let's get our act together, right? This is how we are. We think if we get our act together, then we can wholeheartedly worship Jesus. Some of you are doing really good at it. Some of you got your act together. Some of you are really good at it, and I admire you for it. You've got things down. You've got order to the way you live, I want to be like you. That's not what Christ has called us to do. Imitate you as you imitate Christ. That's Paul's disciple-making strategy. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, that we would be like him. And so I want to get these things out, of the, out in the open here, but I'm not trying to be harsh on you or, or uh, like this football coach who's going to you know, empower you to win this week in worship. This week we're going to win in worship. we got the right plays going on and everything. We're going to win in worship this week. That's not how it is. When we celebrate Christ, when we say Christ has done it all, it is finished in Him, and wholeheartedly we can be satisfied in Him and find pleasure in Him, then, as we'll get to in a moment, then we can be pleasing to God. When we find pleasure in Him, then I feel like we can be pleasing to Him. So Matthew sixteen twenty four and 25 says this. Then Jesus told His disciples, He gives us this act of worship. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny self, take up cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world, yet he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So he gives these three things that we've talked about a lot. He says, deny self, take up cross, and follow me. So we started last week. Uh, following Jesus, we we read from First Kings, from First Kings seventeen and eighteen. This great God battle, where um, where God defeats the Baals or these false gods. He shows up in a mighty He shows up in a mighty way, declares His glory, right? And the prophet uh, gets to declare the glory of the Lord. Like here is the Lord, here's the one true God, and people fell down face first, fearing the Lord with reverent obedience. Said we want to follow and live our lives for. The one true God. And so our first step, our act in worship, our first play we're going to put, put into practice here is that we would live lives fearing the Lord in reverent obedience to Him. That we would see that there's no one greater than He is. We, we return to Him wholeheartedly, allowing Him to take over our lives. And then step two is we take up our cross, offering our lives as, as a living sacrifice as a servant saying, Lord, here, here's my life on the altar. you it's an interesting thing I was thinking about this past week. That fire that consumed, that Elijah put together, uh, the, the the sacrifice there on the altar. Remember all the water on it from 1 Kings 18 and all these things that were prepared in this. The trench around it, there's water in it. And then fire falls from heaven from the Lord and it burns up everything. It burns up everything on the table. I mean, this is a fire that consuming, it's a consuming, an all-consuming fire. Yet the fire did not consume the people around. I mean, this is the like this is the compassion of our Lord. This is the mercy of God. That though he could have burned up everyone on that mountain, he only burned up the sacrifice. He poured out his wrath upon the sacrifice, the worthy sacrifice, and only burned it up, sparing everything and everyone else. This is a merciful God. If you're not playing that out in your head right now, how that refers to Jesus, let's talk more about the gospel. See, God looks at Christ and says He is a worthy sacrifice for the for the sins of the entire world, and then pours His wrath upon only Christ. No one else, though everyone else around should be burned up to, should be suffering too from the wrath of God. Only Christ suffers in that moment, lays His life on the altar, says I'll sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. Bearing the weight on his own shoulders, taking the sin of the entire world—your sin, my sin—the the, the sin of the entire world—and accepting, uh, God accepts that sacrifice for everyone. And so, this is why we worship Him. And then it says uh, the, the the first part, but we're saying it's the last part of sixteen twenty-four. Matthew sixteen twenty-four says, "Deny self, worship." It's not about it's not about me. So, worship is about forgetting about self and offering your life as a sacrifice to the Lord. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore. So what do we do with the therefore? It's a preacher thing. Listen to any podcast, you'll hear it. We'll figure out why the therefore is therefore. So go back, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. It's just a chapter away. It's just a few scrolling up a little bit. Lest you be wise in your own sight, verse 25 of chapter 11. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And this way all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Just guess for a moment. Who do we think this is talking about? Somebody say Jesus. Okay, all right. Maybe as Baptists we will go to a stronger drink during the Lord's Supper just to wake you guys up. Somebody say Jesus. Okay. Verse 28 says this, As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Verse 30, for just as you were one, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So think about this in light of Jonah, disobedient to the Lord, yet the Lord continued to show mercy upon him in the belly of a great fish, yet the Lord is still showing mercy to him. I didn't love my neighbor last week, yet the Lord still shows mercy to me. I wasn't showing love to my spouse last week, but yet the Lord still shows mercy to me. I wasn't patient as the Lord calls me to be patient. I didn't show any signs of fruits of the Spirit this week, yet the Lord continues to show mercy to me. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Your disobedience should lead you to repentance because of the mercy of God. And because of the mercy of God, the mercy of God should lead us to worship Christ with everything that we are, with all the moments that we have. Verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or he has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. No one, by the way. Verse thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever amen. Your homework this week, besides reading Mark, is to memorize Romans eleven thirty six. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's get to this Romans 12, one and 2 quickly, because we got potluck, and we don't want it to burn. We don't mind the altar of the Lord burning up, but we don't want potluck to burn up. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So why are we, number one, why are we going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Why are we going to take up our cross and follow Jesus? Because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God. The mercies of God should be fueling a lifestyle of worship in your life. The mercies of God should be fueling every step you take to give glory to the Father. For, 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 for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your life as a living sacrifice. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. On purpose here, on purpose, when the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this down, on purpose he says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He doesn't just say your Sunday or your Sabbath, or one hour a week. But instead, he says, present your entire life. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Some of you this morning are saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm too weak. My body's too weak. Or maybe you're saying I'm too strong. Maybe you're saying your body's too ugly. It's too pretty. It's too young. It's too old. How have I heard that so many times since I've been here? My body's too old for this. I'm too overweight. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm too short. We've, come up with a lot of excuses not to lay our bodies on the altar of the Lord, not to worship him. Let me just say this, no more excuses, it's almost a wrap here I'm going to read to you. If your body isn't in the grave, use it to worship the one who saves. If your body is not in the grave, then use it to worship the one who saves you. Present your body as a living sacrifice, taking up our cross for him and for him alone. This is a lifestyle of worship. This isn't just a ritual like Psalm 120 and 121 and 122. Let's go up to the temple to worship the Lord and praise him there. But instead, this is, I can use my life now at this moment. I have to go nowhere. Instead, I can worship him in this very moment. I can worship him When it's allowed or when it's not allowed. I can worship him on Sunday or on Saturday. I can worship him on Monday in the school parking lot or Monday in the school classroom. I can present my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I will take up my cross and I will follow him because this is worship of the Lord. No more excuses. Instead, we'll use our life. We'll use our life as worship for him. Let me remind you about a body that was broken. Isaiah 52, behold, verse 13, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his his form, beyond that of of the children of mankind. No one wanted to look at him, this one that Isaiah is talking about. He wasn't something to be looked at, but instead he offers his body as a living sacrifice so shall he sprinkle many nations kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand who has believed what he has heard from us verse 1 of 53 and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him No beauty that we should desire him. How many of you said this about your own self? Who am I? Who am I to enter the presence of the Lord? Who am I to be serving the Lord? Look at me. I can't do anything for the kingdom or for the glory of Christ. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ in obedience laid his body that no one desired to look at. No one wanted to turn their face towards except for our God who found his sacrifice pleasing to him. And if the sacrifice that Christ has made can be pleasing to God, At what point, church, will we say in worship of Jesus that his sacrifice is pleasing to us and follow him in obedience, a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Go on to say in in Romans 12, 1 there, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of worship. To present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's crazy to think you cannot be holy on your own. Your holiness only comes from what happened to Christ. They have prophesied in Isaiah 52 and 53. Because of Christ, he puts upon you his righteousness. He puts upon you his holiness. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. His faith, his righteousness put upon us that we might be holy, that we might be set apart. Most of us set things aside for future use. I'm saving this for later. I'm going to use this later. Some of you will go straight to the dessert bar here in a second. Grab your dessert and say, I'm going to save this for later. Some of you will not even save it. Some of you grab the dessert. I'm going straight there. We save these things for later. Some of us have storage rooms full of stuff that we're saving for later. And unfortunately, this pours over into salvation for some. Christ has saved me uh, for later. He saved me for later. Some of this room aren't even sure of what Jesus has saved us for. We have a good understanding of what Jesus has saved us from, but we have no idea what Jesus has saved us for. You know what he saved you for? Worship of him. To give glory and honor to him. To present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. To find pleasure in God and God alone. Set apart for his glory and not your own. Understanding his righteousness placed upon you and worshiping him and that. Using every moment of your life for his glory. Your understanding of what Christ has saved you from should bleed over into what Christ has saved you for. He didn't just save you for Sundays, but he saved you for Mondays too. He saved you that every moment of your life could be used for his glory. Your work, your family, your retirement, your day off, your rest, your hobbies, all those things for the glory of the Lord. Students, even your homework for the glory of the Lord. Your friendships with your coworkers, your friends in school, your friendship with your enemies, all for the glory of Christ. Your suffering and your blessedness. Your sickness and your health. All for the glory of the Lord. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And we'll just end with this. If you have an understanding of what Christ has saved you from, ask God. Plead with the Lord. Lord, what have you saved me for?